God knows the future and he has prepared prophets and given them the opportunity to speak. And, and I think that's really neat that Jesus does that so that we know to have confidence in the prophecy. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are our friends Karen. Good morning. And Tracy. Good morning. And Amy. Hello. Good morning. Matt's got COVID. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm supposedly over it. Tracy said I'm over had. it. So. <laughs> had COVID. I had I had COVID this week. Within a couple of hours of our recording last week. I mean, seriously, it was like within a couple of hours. I was oh. I was just sitting and all of a sudden it was like I could feel something just smack me, you know, and, and uh, my my sinuses filled up my mm. I never really caught much of a cough, but it just I just all of a sudden felt kind of gross. And it was Father's Day and I was getting ready to go see my mom and dad. And but uh, my body said, you know what, there's something funny going on here. So I went to the bathroom and we have some covid tests around. And so I did the I did the nasal swab thing, which is a lot of fun. And uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, it didn't take long. I mean, you're not supposed to read it for like 15 minutes, but it was like 30 seconds. And I could see that second line showing up already. I was like, oh, man, mm-hmm. you know, waited right. the 15 minutes. And yep, sure enough, it's just there it is. And so, yeah, I stayed home this week. I didn't go to work. I uh, my apprentice had it, too. Uh, so I had a little nice little staycation and didn't uh, I took a took a couple of naps here and there and turned my alarms off so I didn't get up in the mornings. And so, yeah, so that's why if I sound a little nasally, that's why Karen, if Karen makes fun of me for muting while I blow my nose, that's why. And I will totally do that. <laughs> but we still see it. <laughs> and I will provide that visual in verbal form to anyone who wants to listen to it because it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I can uh, I can show you what the Kleenex produces if you like. No, never mind. <laughs> That's disgusting, Matt. Don't talk like that. That's gross. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> so yeah, and then oh, I shoot. Even yesterday, I was testing and I still tested positive. And my my unofficial physician, Tracy, there texted me and he said, "Hey, man, that could be that could be showing up positive for months." Months. So. So uh doesn't doesn't I guess I don't know. I guess does that that doesn't necessarily mean I still have it, but I I don't know. It I just guess. means your viral load is high enough to keep triggering the test. Yeah. Dead or alive. Yeah, so, but I'm so, not Yeah, the new standards just say that you uh you have to be asymptomatic for uh at least twenty four to forty eight hours without um any symptoms. Lingering cough congestion does not count. It's more fever fever driven. So if you're not taking any medication that prevents you from having a fever, um, then you should be good to go. I recommend that you wear a mask, but totally plus, up to you. Plus, ask your boss, Matt. I mean, don't. <laughs> yeah, you need to work that out with your boss. Yeah, my, my, my boss uh, needs me to make some money. So <laughs> <laughs> Matt is his own boss. For those of you who don't know, Matt is self-employed, runs his own company. Yeah. That's why that was funny. See, I have to explain my jokes. <laughs> right <clears throat> right because you're not funny no i mean <laughs> uh but yeah so i don't know i guess to some degree i maybe fell into that trap of self-diagnosing because i could like well i still got it so i gotta stay home and fortunately i have a friend who is also a, you know knows a whole lot more about this than i do so 
I probably should have called my doctor about it, and I didn't. But then you get to catch up on all your shows. I watched a lot of Star Trek this week. <laughs> I heard. Yeah, I, I was, we have, we got Paramount Plus, and so I've been watching a lot of Star Trek that I've never seen before, and just been, uh, just been in nerd heaven, so. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so anyway, that's, that's the plight of, that's the plight of Matt this week. All righty, well, I am really excited about our, our readings for the next few weeks. Heck yeah. We're, we are into the book of Daniel. And Daniel is such a fascinating book. It is just so chock full of interesting stuff. Uh, you know, Amy, you and I just kind of completed with some others uh, a study of Daniel that took us, I don't know, how many weeks did that take us? That was a lot. It was we, almost a year. Yeah, it was about a year because we took some time off here and there. But yeah, um, yeah. but just, I mean, it's, it's chock full of interesting his, history, prophecy. You name it, it's in this book. So uh, I'm I'm excited to get into this book. I, I remember thinking as we were studying, how is this even possible? Only in the mind of God can you take 12 chapters and make it something that a group will study for a year. And it just keeps, the deeper you study, the, the deeper it goes. And you're just like, how is that much packed into these 12 little chapters? Yeah. Yeah, it, it is, you know, and it's funny because when we were studying that and we get to the end of the, we got to the end of the book and I'm like, this thing's only 12 chapters. Are you serious? <laughs> because, because there is so much in it. There's so much, I don't know. There's just that there's a lot of the hopes of, of Christianity put into it. Um, I, I kind of wonder how the Jewish people viewed it because I mean, we look at it with a lot of hindsight and we compare it a lot with. Uh, the book of revelation um you know there's so much in it and we have we have a lot of our i don't know if you want to call it religion i guess you could say wrapped up in with of all the things that are in this book so uh i don't know it's just it's so dense it's so deep and and it's really really good stuff uh, okay, so the book of Daniel, for context's sake, we are we are in like that last tail end of what's left of Judah, uh, basically at the time of Jehoiakim. In fact, the, the text tells us it kind of in the third year of Jehoiakim's reign. So Jehoiakim was mm, second to last king of Judah. You had Jehoiakim, you had Jehoiachin, and you had Zedekiah. And so in this third reign, third year of Jehoiakim, which is around 606 BC, if I remember right here. I'm so, yeah, I have it memorized. Sure I do. No, I read it somewhere. I actually looked this up in my timeline Bible. So chapter one, when it says in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, it says that was uh, 607 BC. Okay. And then in verse two, where it says, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. That was the following year, sometime in 606. Okay. So that gives us a bit of context of where we're sitting in historical wise. <laughs> and then the book of Daniel, I was reading some notes here, goes through to about 539 BC. Uh, I didn't do the math to see how many years that is, but... That goes until uh, King Cyrus is in 
um, is in Babylon. So Daniel is in Babylon for quite a while. So uh, if you've been following with us uh, through the other books, though, you'd know that this means that we are getting into a time of siege by Babylon. Um, in fact, here again, the text says that uh, Nebuchadnezzar has besieged Jerusalem and he's taken some items from the temple. He's put them in the house of his God, who I believe was Marduk. Uh, yep. I think we've talked about him a little bit. And, you know, generally speaking, the time for what's left of the house of Israel, uh, which is now, you know, the, 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 uh, the kingdom of Judah is 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 not great we've we've gone through a lot of uh, other prophets and stuff that have been talking about what exactly happened there so now everything we see now is really what's happening in babylon i guess seen through the eyes of daniel yeah i just wanted to be real specific because someone who hasn't studied daniel before may not realize that daniel was one of the captives and Mm -hmm. you know and basically when Nebuchadnezzar came, he took 10,000 captives and it, it says that he basically took the cream of the crop. Like he wanted the, the wealthy, the well-educated, et cetera, uh, in his kingdom. And he was someone who would incorporate the knowledge of other kingdoms into his work. Anyway, Daniel's among those captives. Right. Too, if you look at it too, is that's kind of the spoils of war that you usually do go after. And if you're going to make a successful world dominant force, you want to collectively take the best minds, the best bodies first, then you go after the others. And those, and the others are usually just enslaved. Enslaved, exactly. Right, right. So, you know, they're going to have the wealth of knowledge. They're going to have the historical stuff. They're going to have, you know, call it the homeopathic, naturopathic jewels of the country you know, cultural, they're going to be the cultural, like, hierarchy. And if you look to, I think we read it before when we started, was it Ezekiel that there were the, some of the royal family was involved there? So they were all all well-learned and that kind of thing. So the, the actual description from Daniel 1 then mm-hmm. says, Ash, Ashpenaz, the chief of the king's court, was ordered to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. All right, so here's the list of criteria. Young men without any physical defects, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand. Okay, those were their qualifications. So that would have been Tracy and me. You know, I've never liked you. (laughs) (laughs) Now you've just confirmed it. (laughs) <laughs> Matt just muted himself and went off into a fit of hacking and coughing into it. <laughs> I, I crack me up <laughs> well at least you make someone laugh Matt <laughs> yep I slay me anyway sorry go ahead well anyway that was it I just like that's a really like not only are they drawn from the elite, but they have to prove themselves. Like yeah. we're not just looking for the bloodlines here; we're looking for the bloodlines and the performance. Like they, you, like it even says you have to be nice looking. Good gracious! Right, right. Because it sounds attractive, smart, able to understand. Right, just like the full package. You know, and I think of that too. And I think of you know they had huge courts. He was entertaining people from all different parts of the world. So, you know, that your captives, 
you know, when you parade them through the, the royal court, you want them to, to look the part. You know what I mean? Sure. So it makes sense. Yeah, you don't want to get the ugly people out there and go, hey, look. And everybody goes like, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, big deal. Mm. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So so they're taken. Uh, these these particular ones are taken, and we're we're given specific names of a of a of a handful of them here. So we're talk we're we're told, of course, Daniel, who we believe wrote the book, uh, although not everything in the book is from his perspective. But we'll get to that down the road. But we have Daniel, we have Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And I wish I would have stopped myself there because I was going to ask you guys what his friends' names were before we got going. Because usually, if you ask people that, they're going to tell you Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> Nobody ever remembers the names of the three friends. And isn't it weird, by the way, that we refer to the three friends by their Babylonian names, but we refer to Daniel by his Judean name? That's exactly <laughs> where I was going with that. So strange. I know, right, but Belteshazzar is name cool. is Belteshazzar, right? <laughs> yeah, but Belteshazzar is a cool name, I have to admit. <laughs> not when it means what is it son of bell what was it that it means uh, yeah i saw that it is bell protect his life yeah great yeah yeah, mm. yeah. <clears throat> so but yeah so daniel means god is my judge and belteshazzar means bell protect his life <laughs> uh hananiah his name meant the lord shows grace he got changed to shadrach or shadrach excuse me which means command of Aku, who is a Sumerian moon god. Yeah. Mishael, which I that had me think is oh, that sounds an awful lot like Michael because his name means who is what God is. Yeah. And Michael means who is like God. Uh his name gets changed to Meshach and which means who is what Aku is. So uh interesting interesting which Aku it by the way is the Sumerian moon god. Right. Right. And then Azariah, his name meant the Lord helps, and he gets changed to Abednego or Abednego. I don't know. I've heard it both ways and means servant of Nego. And I have no idea who Nego is. But so, yeah, very interesting that we can't we always think of them as their Babylonian names and Daniel with his regular Hebrew name. So I know. I've always wondered if that's just because Daniel's controlling the narrative by <laughs> by writing the book. I don't know. Or if I, or you know, I wonder how much he got referred to as Belteshazzar. Maybe in the courts and such, but I guess probably socially he was just known as Daniel. That's my guess. I don't know him and his friends. I'm sure. Yeah. I wonder if it's just because in chapter three, when they face the fiery furnace, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are referred to as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and it's such an important story, you know, in our childhood. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if that's why our minds are just like, yeah, I want to be like those guys. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. To me, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was always easier to say also. Less less syllables. <laughs> kind of rolls off the tongue a little easier. Gosh, Matt, I never even counted the syllables. I didn't count the syllables. Just This is why he's the leader. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Hananiah, Hananiah, that's a lot of mouthful. Ah, whatever. Belteshazzar just does not, I mean, it sounds cool, but it doesn't roll off the tongue, you know? So no, it does not. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, these four specifically get named. Uh, and it sounds like there was a lot, there was a lot of people, not and not just Hebrews, but probably people from all over 
all over uh, the conquered nations who had gotten put into these positions. But these guys, these four guys, Daniel talks about specifically, he talks about how they are supposed to be given a diet, a specific diet of what's kind of referred to as the king's food. And uh, I didn't I didn't take that as a sign of a specific diet. I took that as a sign of favor. Like you're going to eat the same food that the king does. You're getting a portion of what is served on his table. Aren't you honored among mankind? That's how I took. I think. Well, I suppose that's part of it. I have always taken it as as this is because they're set apart. This is how they're going to be fed. And yeah, sure. Yeah, like you say, a bit of an honor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's intended to be. Yes, I think it's intended to be. But Daniel and the other three, they're they're not so keen on it. See, and, and that's what I was going to allude to is that, you know, they were still separate. You know, it, it if you look back in on verse four, they were nobility. They've kind of been in that that elite category, eating good food, eating high fatty food. And I wanted to throw this in here, too, because it's a good thing as far as like medicine wise. If you look at those countries during that time, like Egyptian company, uh, the Egyptian, the pharaohs, that, that kind of nobility. Um, if you look early on in like Medo-Persia, these people, when they unearthed them, they did have some of the common diseases that we have when you eat rich foods. Rich foods being like all this, you know, um, different kinds of meats as far as that are very rich. Um, Egyptians were known to like hippopotamus and ostriches and that kind of stuff, but they developed gout. Because the other people didn't really eat this kind of food. They were eating more of the staples that were processed well. They were working hard. Um, They were burning the stuff off where the nobility, they weren't. And so they did. They suffered a lot of what we call the rich man's disease. Is that The lifestyle um, diseases. Yes, lifestyle diseases where eating this type of food, it was was to set them apart. Um, They were considered the the cream of the crop. But... that's not always the best. Yeah. Hmm. Anyone who's ever read, like, what was that study that they did that ended up with the blue zones? Was it called the China study? I hear a number of years ago now. They did this big study of the longest living populations around the earth. Mm-hmm. They found a handful of them and they they sort of designated them the blue zones. And then they went and they studied these groups of people. Like, how do, how was it that they ate differently? What was it about their lifestyle? Oh, uh, Mediterranean, Loma yeah. Linda. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and there was, some, there was like rural China and some kind of like, like this one little community out in, in California, which is just super odd. And then just, you know, on and on like this. And, and they kind of broke it down. And so, and this is an interesting thing because, and by the way, we assumed that these young men were made eunuchs. And the assumption comes from, first of all, the, the local, you know, what you usually did to your captives. You, you might want the cream of the crop from other nations, but you didn't necessarily want them fully intact so that they could integrate and dilute your precious bloodlines, right? So there was, you want them, you want them emasculated, not only to keep them more subdued, but also to keep them from interbreeding with your people. So there's that. And the reason that that has, is kind of a thing is that this fellow who's put in charge of these four young men and the other captives is referred to as the chief of the eunuchs. Yep. Right. And to a lot of times they were used to, um, to educate 
the nobility of that country. So Nebuchadnezzar's family, a lot of these people were going to educate like his sons and daughter or all sons. So yeah, they didn't want any of that commingling. Yeah. yeah. In- interesting way to subdue your captives. Is yeah, <laughs> to, and your to, bloodline right there. It's just you. Yeah. But to also this in- interesting exchange of ideas, because these guys, I mean, at least four, besides being given a different diet, they're being taught, you know, things of Babylonian culture and language and customs and such. So anyway, they so Daniel goes to the chief of the eunuchs, which is this guy named Ash Penaz, and he says, can you can we please eat? food that we choose, food and drink that we choose, rather than the food from the king's table that we've been allotted. And the chief of the eunuchs says, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. Why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? You would endanger my head before the king. Right. So he says, now this gets into an interesting Hebrew word. Daniel's response is, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. So I went to my Strong's Concordance because I grew up reading King James. So the word translated vegetables here is pulse is translated pulse in the King James. So what is pulse? So it comes from this Hebrew word pronounced zeroa, and it's spelled Z-E-R-O-A with a little um, accent thingy. I'm waving my hand in the air to help you understand what I mean with, <laughs> with no camera on. Anyway, it's pronounced zeroa. It essentially means vegetable, but it means vegetable in the same sense it's, it's got the same root word as the word seed. And if you track that usage through the Bible, you end up with a lot of references back to the creation story, where every herb seeding seed, the fruit of a tree seeding seed, the green herb seeding seed, right? So we're basically talking about a natural diet, not the way that the New King James translates it, which is vegetables. Yeah, so very... Very back to basics. Yeah, totally. Have you ever tried to look up that stuff? Because there's a huge, well, I think it's still kind of a craze, but it was maybe about five or so years ago, maybe 10, that everybody was looking for this pulse or the Daniel diet. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, for kicks and giggles, I went out there and how can you find this stuff? Like pulse and, and they have some of it, but it's, I don't think it's really what we're looking for. But then I find it funny because a lot of them would reference you to Ezekiel bread, which I thought was kind of hilarious. Yes. <laughs> mm. Which is yeah. which for those who don't know, there's a text in Ezekiel that where God says, take the sprouted grains up. And he rattles off this whole list of local grains and sprout mm. the grains and then make your bread from them. Yep. And lentils. Mm. Lentils are in the bread. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because later in Daniel he is fasting and at one point he he talks about his fast and he takes nothing sweet uh and no meat and no wine and so there he is again repeating that his ideal diet for approaching god is very simple food yeah so, like no desserts is that what we're saying yeah yeah i'm out 
I'm out. Oh, that sounds just... <laughs> <laughs> where that level of personal comes from. <laughs> anyway, the result of this is pretty interesting. So the chief of the eunuchs agrees and he tests them for 10 days, which is a smart way of Daniel to approach that, right? He's like, he's like, I'm asking for an exception and I'm asking for a short time demonstration to prove to you that this isn't a terrible idea. So it's not enough to make the king take your head off your shoulders, but it's enough for us to kind of test out this idea. All right. At the end of, so in verse 13, it says, at the end of the 10 days, they, these four guys, looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. All right. So there you go. That's how they solved that problem. So for any of you who are up against someone who really thinks they know better than you, be creative and think of a way to test your theory. Just get, just get creative. <laughs> yeah. You can solve a lot of problems with just a little bit of just a little bit of curiosity and creativity. Well, let's just try this. Let's try this. Yeah. So so I like verse 19 where it says, and the king communed with them. And mm-hmm. he found that uh, as they stood before him in matters of wisdom and understanding, they were superior to all the magicians and astrologers in the realm. That's not the end of the 10 days, by the way. That's at the end of the three years of training. Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. That's true. Right. Yeah. yeah. Three years in there. Yeah. yeah but I wish I could have been a fly on the wall, you know, listening into that conversation between Nebuchadnezzar <laughs> and, and these Hebrew kids, you know. What does yeah. that tell you about this king's intellect? Like this, this is the king of Babylon, the, you know, the then known ruler of the world. And he personally tests these guys after three years of training. Like, what does that say about this king's intellect that he's personally testing the guys Mm -hmm. trained? Yeah. Well, and I think you look at it, too, as far as like a military aspect is that he was, let's just call it what it is, the first known ruler of, you know, the world as they knew it. Right. So where people were using brute and brawn, he used intellect to incorporate in um, other cultures to form like a worldwide dominance. Yeah, I think Nebuchadnezzar is such an interesting character because God is obviously pursuing him. And in the book of Daniel, we see that. So here's this, you know, pagan king. And yet there's indications that God is sending Daniel to this position in part so that Nebuchadnezzar can learn to know the true God. But then also he's a brutal character, like he blinds Zedekiah. Um, so it's a really interesting, I guess, uh, dichotomy of person in that he is so intellectual and so violent. Mm-hmm. Definitely well, unique. He castrate, and he castrates all the young men. You know, he's like, hey, bring me the best. And they have to be young men. Okay, no, you don't need those. Those are going away. Right, right. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty, pretty harsh. In the mortal yeah. words of Monty Python, it's not easy being the king. <laughs> well also think about this Tracy. that one should stay on matt that should not hit the cutting room floor oh no that's <laughs> think about this too though tracy like people always want to say that in the past people didn't know anything about science or medicine but they knew that castration stopped reproduction huh and subdued person right yeah. right i mean yeah. these are young men these are young men so they're they're probably past puberty but not into like full adulthood yet that's a guess right but then like 
So they've got masculinity, but not full. Any Anybody who's ever been around any kind of livestock knows if you want to calm a male creature down, you mm-hmm. take its those things. Yep. yep. I almost blurted out something that would have ended up on the cutting room floor. So <laughs> you castrate them. And, mm-hmm. and the, you know, taking out the testosterone calms yep. them down. I used to, by the way, quick, quick story. When my son was a teenager and he was acting up, which was frequently, I would say to him, I firmly support medical castration. <laughs> I'm calling Blue Cross to see if they'll approve it. I'll put them in the freezer. You can have them back when you move out. And he would laugh and roll his eyes and everything else because he thought I was joking. See how that went? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, well, so we alluded to, alluded to, I don't know. Karen mentioned this three years of training that they were given. They were trained in kind of some specific stuff, like being taught the language. But they were also being taught some of these customs of, uh, you know, dream interpretations. You know, some of the uh, some of the more I don't know what's the word I want to use. The they were being brought up to be wise men. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, this is a place where they believed in astrology and they believed in reading signs and all this kind of thing. And it sounded to me as I was reading this, they're being taught about this stuff now. It would seem that they didn't really incorporate it into their own lives. They may have said, okay, yes, I understand what you're saying and, and you know, compartmentalized it back in the back of their head. Uh, but this is part of the training that they were getting over the, over the next three years. And that really comes into play in Chapter 2 now. It comes into play in Chapter 2 because Nebuchadnezzar in his, this is the, it says the second year of his reign. I think this must mean... This can't just mean the second. I I don't know exactly what it is, but that's kind of unimportant. He calls. Not really. That jumped out at me, too. Okay. well, what do you think that is then? I don't know. But like I what I need to do is I need to pull up a chart of the the. So it says in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Okay, well, that's where we start. Mm-hmm. That's already King Nebuchadnezzar. And then it says, in the second year of his reign. His reign. Yeah. Where was Daniel? Was Daniel already there? Was he a student? Like, what happened? Well, you know, something that occurs to me here. Who knows if this is good? How long had he been having this dream? Maybe he'd been having this dream for a really long time. I don't know. I don't know when he came into reign with. Of, of Babylon versus when he besieged Jerusalem. But, you know, you hear about people having recurring dreams, recurring nightmares all the time. And so maybe this is something that had been bugging him for years. I don't know. That's just a thought that just popped into my head here. I don't know. I don't well, know if this is helpful because I'm not positive uh, that I understand you guys' question. But uh, my understanding is that um, he, he captured Babylon in 605. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had the dream in 604 so a year later um and um we have we have both daniel's testimony about the timing of his reign versus uh jehoiakim's and zedekiah's but then we also have jeremiah's so they both keep track of mm-hmm. the timing and it appears that based on that that we actually do know when he had the dream that it was 604 but i don't know that's just so maybe it's 
his reign over, you know, when he started actually having a big influence over over Jerusalem, maybe is what it's talking about. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But so but he has this dream. And so he calls all the wise men of the land in and he wants them to interpret the dream for him. And they're like, "Okay, tell us the dream. He says and he goes, no. I'm not going to tell you the dream because I know what you guys will do. You're just going to take, you're going to buy your time. You're going to, you're going to manipulate this thing. And he actually uh, says, I know of a certainty that you would gain time. Yes. Verse mm-hmm. eight. Yeah. Isn't that mm-hmm. crazy that he doubts the actual ability? This is his parcel of astrologers and magicians and soothsayers and everything like that. And he clearly has doubts as to their ability. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It gets me thinking of these people, and it's, I don't know if it's getting more popular, it's been popular for a very long time, but like these people who claim to be able to talk to the dead, and, you know, they'll tell people that there's messages coming from so-and-so, and, you know, they'll ask them all these questions, and if you're, you know, if you stop and pay attention to what they're saying, you realize they're gleaning clues through the questions they're asking, and the whole mm-hmm. thing is a sham. You know, if you're not paying attention, you can probably get sucked into it. But 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 when you really watch, you're like, no, I can you can see how they're they're being opportunistic and they're they're getting what they want here and coming up with answers that are going to make sense. Yeah, I just I want to read verse nine. Uh, But if you will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you, for you have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak to me until the time be changed. Uh, Therefore, tell me the dream. And I shall know if you can interpret it. Yeah. yeah. See, I think we're missing, too, is that he was trained with them. Mm. You know, so he knows the tricks of the trade. Interesting. Daniel. Yeah. He's... Well, Dan- well and Nebuchadnezzar. He means Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I get you. I get he you. He received the same, you know, he was the king. He was privy to their curriculum and probably most likely studied with them, if not had, you know, the higher ups teach him individually so he knew how they were going to do it he knew the questions he knew you know this is what we do to get that and that's why he said you guys are just going to buy time i know what you're going to do already but mm-hmm. now i'm going to switch it you tell me what i dreamed yeah and that and way we're like wait a minute oh, we yeah. haven't studied that part we don't know how to do that it's like there you go yeah well it's interesting too because in verse 11 they say you know, this is a rare thing that the king requires. There's no one that can do this except the gods. Yeah. So, so Nebuchadnezzar is like, tell me the dream. And they say, we can't tell you the dream. It's impossible. We, there's nobody, nobody that can do that. And Nebuchadnezzar, I don't know, ticks him off. And he decides he's just going to kill off all the wise men in the country. And his orders begin to be carried out. I assume soldiers go out and they're getting they're beginning to kill the 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 wise men all of the astrologers how's it put the strollers astrologers astrologers satraps i don't remember all the names i gave them but mm-hmm. um but uh they're gonna get wiped out um but when it comes to they come around to daniel daniel manages to convince the person in charge hold on give me some time let me go let me go ask God and see what God says. And so he and he goes to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. <laughs> see, I remembered their names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Ask them, okay, pray so that 
uh, that God might give us this so that uh, we don't end up all getting wiped out. And so he goes to God in prayer and starts asking for guidance on this wisdom. And he gives this a prayer of thanks to God because this is the way he approaches God. Is not just simply, oh, God, save me, save me, save me. Uh, but he he does gives this prayer and of recognizing God's power, God's abilities, um, recognizing that God is the one who sets up kings, the one who who has all understanding. Just this whole scene reminds me of Matthew eighteen twenty, you know, where it says, "Where two or three are gathered." I mean, that's something we do now when we're worried about something. We think, let's get together with the body of Christ and let's let's bring this thing before the Lord. And they're doing the exact same thing. Daniel gets his friends and he says, hey, let's pray about this. You know, Mm -hmm. simple, simple thing. And yet uh, it's just like what we do. Yeah, I guess, you know, that's important when anytime we're facing something. And I guess it doesn't really matter what it is. But anytime we're facing something, go to your friends. And ask them to pray with you. And, and you don't have to take it on by yourself. We're not supposed to. We're not meant to. We're social creatures. And and we can take it to, uh, we can come yeah. together, and come I, before God. And I would agree with that totally. And I'm just trying to think back. Have we ever seen collectively where it's a group of friends that are leaning on each other like this? In the, so far, what we've studied... I, you know, most of the time it's individuals. Right. This is the only time I could really think of that it's a collective group of friends. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, that are that are going huh. through the same thing together. Interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know because it's. I guess we've we've seen it from perspectives of prophets who a lot of times thought they were alone. Who is it? I'm I'm studying. I'm going to be doing a sermon next week on uh, Elijah. And he gets up in front of the 450 prophets of Baal up on Carmel. And he's like, I'm the only one. <laughs> and we know we know that he's not the only one. We know there were other contemporary uh, prophets, let alone that he had to have friends and family. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting how, how in the past it seems like people have seemed to be on their own. Yeah, so what you're referring to, remember, after the rain comes, he falls into this funk you know remember elijah's like depressed and everything and then when he's up on the mountain the lord tells him you know i have 700 followers yeah seven thousand yeah and and so he reminds him you're not alone um people who were living in that exact same wreck of a nation but who had never bent the knee yep right yeah right Mm -hmm. good stuff i i love this this verse in the middle of the prayer He's talking about the Lord and he says, and he reveals the deep and secret things and he knows what's in the darkness. Yeah. And you think about being afraid of the dark. I mean, I know it's talking about spiritual things, but, you know, being afraid of the dark is being afraid of the unknown, not knowing, not knowing what's around the corner, not knowing what's, you know, in the future, not knowing, you know, a lot of things. And mm-hmm. we understand God does know then uh, that can be a place where we can we can put our trust and, right. and trust that he's in charge. Because if he is in charge of all this political stuff that's been going on down through the years, and he knows what's coming, and we know that he has our best intentions in mind, or our best, you know what I'm trying to say, 
Um, you know the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. He's on our side. You know, we don't have to worry. We don't have to worry about these things. We just we can just trust in him. And so I would I would say that that this prayer then is really demonstrating how it is that maybe how we're seeing Daniel have such insights, being called on as a prophet, being placed up as a wise man in this foreign country. It's simply be, it's simply in large part because he has such a trusting relationship with God. Because we're going to see we're going to see just how much Daniel trusts God as we get into deeper and deeper chapters here. There's something interesting also in verse 23. I thank you and praise you, God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might and has made unto made known unto me what I have desired to know. Notice that he's not, you know, like what we would call humble. Um, and yet he is humble because he's asked for these gifts from God. So he knows he doesn't have them on his own, but he is fully willing to acknowledge God has given me these gifts. Um, mm -hmm. And I just I always think about that section in C.S. Lewis where he talks about, you know, humility and false humility and that we make uh, we make light of the gifts that God gives us if we have false humility. Oh, well, I'm nothing. Oh, well, I don't have, you know, the gift of this or the gift of that. And when we display false humility, we're diminishing what God has given us. Whereas what Lewis says is we should look on our gifts and think um, we should be happy about them, acknowledge that God has given them to us, but then also maybe just enjoy them in the same way that we enjoy the gifts of other people. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and here's Daniel saying, God has made me wise and mighty. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Well, and that comes into play here in a bit with, well, you know, keep that, keep, keep a pin in that thought here, because we're going to come back to that here in a second. It's almost like confidence in the gifts that God has given you. There mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think that too goes on to say that it's, that's true wisdom. Fear of the mm -hmm. Lord is, is true wisdom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so Daniel get, gets an interpretation of this dream, and he goes to he, he gets to go to Nebuchadnezzar, and I guess I guess we don't have to put a pin in your thought there very long because he flat out tells Nebuchadnezzar, "I didn't get this because I am particularly wise. I didn't get this because of of a position or anything about me." He says, "There's a God in heaven." Yep. Who reveals secrets and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. So this is none of this is because of Daniel. This is all because of God it says he who reveals secrets has made to you has made known to you what will be. Uh, and so so this is all about God, nothing about Daniel at all. So Daniel is absolutely showing humility in this, even though he is in such an amazingly high important position here and being given such an important task to do now this is where the story gets absolutely fascinating to me this is the part of the bible that i always end up coming back to anytime i have doubts if i start to doubt god doubt how things are going this story brings me back every single time because now we learn what what the dream was that Nebuchadnezzar has been having because Daniel tells him you dreamed of this image 
or a statue, however you want to put it. And this the statue has a, a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and feet of iron and clay. I'm really impressed with what you just said because I think that's um, this is a good time to talk about it. I feel like the people forget that prophecy is meant to give us confidence and take away fear. And you've just described that. So I don't know if you remember, Matt, the story of the man who was in uh, Hitler's Germany. Like he was a soldier in the German army, not a not a Nazi, but a German soldier. And he um, he ended up being able to witness to one of his commanding officers through the book of Daniel and essentially say, um, you know, hey, there's a God in heaven who's in control of this situation. And I am in Hitler's Germany. And I still believe that God is in control and Hitler's not going to win. And he, I mean, he says this to a commanding officer. And it's such a fascinating story, but it was literally because he knew the prophecies. Yeah, prophecies are there. Yes, many times they're there to tell us the future, but only usually so that we recognize when it happens. Yes. Not so much, not so much like give us, oh, this foreknowledge. I know exactly what's going to happen, but when it happens, we recognize it. To bring that to a little more modern day, I don't know if you guys noticed, but last July in Australia, they started making announcements on television, which said, I think it was the 15th. And like, just like the, no the local news channels just said, well, today is the first day of the new world order. Like they just put it on TV. Mm -hmm. it's like, no, that's not going to work either. Guys, thanks for playing. Prophecy, Daniel 2 says that's not going to happen. Yeah, so what we're getting at here, if you're not familiar with the book already, is that uh, Daniel is able to go on and explain to Nebuchadnezzar, not with tons of detail at this point, but not, but that this image is representing the kingdoms that are going to proceed for the next several, I don't know, what do we call it, eras? <laughs> What's that? A lot. A lot. A lot. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I guess what I forgot, part of this that I forgot to say, and is really important, is that this image in the dream um, gets struck by what is described as a stone cut without hands. Mm -hmm. And it strikes the image, it crushes it, and it says the pieces are blown away like chaff. And then the stone becomes a great mountain and fills everything, fills the whole earth, it says. So should we just go through these just real quick, like the, the different yeah. sections? Yeah. So in verse... Um, 32, Daniel spells it out like, Your Majesty, this is what you saw. The head of the statue was made of pure gold. Its chest and arms were made of silver. Belly and thighs were made of bronze. Legs of iron. And then the feet were partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken into pieces and became like chaff on the threshing room floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. All right, so that's the dream. So he says, basically, then, he, then here comes the flattering part. You, O king, are that head of gold. Right. And Nebuchadnezzar is we'll find out in the next chapter what Nebuchadnezzar decides to do with that. Um, then he says, after you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Then a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. And we're talking the then known earth. Right. We're not we're not yeah. we're talking about 
We're not talking about every far reach of civilization and every tribe in the faintest corners of the, yeah, we're not talking about that. The, right. the, the then known world. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. It will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with the clay. And the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with the baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. All right. So Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, head of gold. Mm -hmm. Following them, Medo-Persia, arms, arms and chest of silver. After that was Greece, Alexander the Great. That's the, the what was it, the belly, uh, what they call it, the belly and thighs of bronze. Yep. After that was Rome. That's the legs of iron. And then after Rome, there is no one world government until Jesus comes. There will be elements of this and elements of that, elements of strength, elements of weakness. But it will never, again, the people will not remain unified under any world government until the mountain of God builds out of the rubble of the earth mm -hmm. amen mm -hmm. and that is so fascinating because each one of those nations that karen just listed off if you go through and you see where their strength lied or should maybe i should say was displayed was with those those metals mm -hmm. babylon was just unbelievably wealthy and gold Everywhere history will tell you this. Medo Persia, while very strong, was not as glamorous, I guess maybe. Um, and silver is always considered to be less lesser than gold. Um, Greece is very uh, uh, well known as being uh, in the Bronze Age because that's what largely what their weapons were made of was bronze. Uh, Rome, a lot of their strength came because they had the iron weapons. I was okay. reading I was reading um, a history book about Rome and that was the that was the the changing in the tide was literally iron nothing was as strong as iron yeah you could literally when going up against like the bronze swords and stuff like that they could break them in combat where with the iron swords that's why it was just considered like revolutionary that their their war and their military tactic with with these um uh, weapons made of iron was unmatched yeah but and there there may be some literal application that in that way but the in verse 40 it specifically says that it's more like a style of ruling it says finally there will be a fourth kingdom strong as iron for iron breaks and smashes everything and mm -hmm. as iron breaks things to pieces so it will crush and break all the others mm-hmm yeah, so it's like a style of ruling and Rome. I mean, Rome is whoa. First of all, they had a lot of years where they were kind of at the head of the civilized world, as we call it. And yeah. there was it was it was brutal and it was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then when we get down into these these feet of iron and clay, it's interesting that it point pointed out the part about the toes and there's 10 toes. Right. And history will tell us that. 
Europe was divided into 10, I guess, nations, I guess you call them. You had the Visigoths, the Anglo-Saxons, the Franks. Actually, I should go through this. The Visigoths was basically Spain, modern-day Spain. Anglo-Saxons, which is modern-day England. The Franks, which is the, was France. The Alemanni, I'm probably mispronouncing that one, Germany. The Burgundians, Switzerland. The Lombards, Italy. The Suevi, Portugal. And then there was three others that ended up disappearing over time. But that was the Heruli, the Ostrogoths, and the Vandals. And so this was, this was what Europe ended up breaking into after the Roman Empire. These ten kind of distinct, um, na- I don't know, nations, I guess. My, my public school history is very lacking. So, so you guys, are, as we go into this, these history things, you guys are going to help me on this because seriously, they didn't teach, teach us history in my, in my school. So a lot of it is, is, is what I've gleaned over the years. So those kingdoms also become the colonizers of way later history. So, you know, like the, the Europeans sent out all these uh, colonizers who came to the new world, they came to Africa, they came to South America. Um, and so those powers essentially still exist because the teachings and the law structure, et cetera, they still dominate the earth. Yeah, no, they do. They do. Uh, but so so the point of that, this iron and clay, they don't mix. You might be able to somehow, I mean, of course, this is a dream. You might be able to somehow form them together to look like a thing, but they are not going to have the strength of the others before it because they're completely different. They're so different that they can't they can't adhere. They just won't. And so like Amy was talking about with knowing that the Nazis were not going to be able to take over all of Europe. And even now, as we see the you know, they try to make this European Union that just doesn't quite get there you know we just we just saw the whole brexit thing happen with england leaving the union and so we're, you know we're we're this new world order that we that a lot of people worry about if we if we go by daniel it seems pretty clear that we're not going to have to worry about that happening because there will be no world power until jesus comes because we we because that stone that was cut without hands we'll learn in other things that that stone that rock well what have i been talking about a lot of times in here the the rock the rock is jesus the rock is god and and that doesn't so so you know saying that the new world order or any other attempt at a one world government is not going to succeed does not mean that there won't be efforts and it doesn't mean there won't be damage and it doesn't mean we aren't facing a hellacious time in the future of the world it just means it won't succeed our next right. one world ruler is jesus christ yes absolutely yeah i basically wanted to reiterate the same thing i mean <clears throat> if you were living under hitler's germany it seemed pretty real. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, it just wasn't ultimately successful. Yeah. Yeah. And then somebody else pointed out also, you know, we're not talking about every single nation in the world. Because obviously at this time, China, China was had its own strength. We know we, you know, you, you look at anything with Chinese history, they had a whole thing going on. But what they had going on was not part of the narrative that leads through the history of Christianity the history of what God was working on 
at that at that time in in terms of perpetuating what needed to happen for the messiah to come it's it's, it's odd to think of because it's all connected by landmass but china india the you know that stuff was australia. just australia <laughs> australia yeah they were down there putting their shrimp on the barbie you know <laughs> oh that was such a stupid joke <laughs> that was so bad <laughs> but you know of course they were complete that's completely separated you know yeah. or whatever not not necessarily world power but you know you would think that something as big as trying grand as china and and what they you know the things they were going through you know their their conflicts with mongols and building the great wall and that kind of stuff it is important world history but it just fascinatingly doesn't play into the history of the coming of messiah the expansion of christianity of what god started there with abraham it's that story it's from abraham on that's that's the history that the bible is focusing on it's not leaving those things out because they're unimportant in a world sense they're just not there because it's not important in this particular narrative. The end of verse 45 in chapter two, I love so much because Daniel says the dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. I love Daniel's certainty here. I love that he is like, this is what's going to happen. This is for sure what you saw and this is what it means. It's a reassurance to us that God is in charge. God knows what's going to happen. God, you know, as that revealer of secrets, the one who knows what's happening in the dark, he's the one that, that we can rely on. I do think that's really important to remember because a lot of people, especially biblical scholars who um, have long ago decided that <clears throat> Daniel's not really written ahead of time, Daniel didn't really engage in prophecy. There are there are biblical scholars who don't want to believe that the Bible really is what it says it is. Like they literally think that Daniel didn't actually write Daniel. It was written afterwards by someone who wanted to build confidence. And yet Jesus refers to the book of Daniel. And he says, as it was written by Daniel the prophet. And mm. so, you know, if you consider yourself a believer, you have to understand that God knows the future, and he has prepared prophets and given them the opportunity to speak. And, and I think that's really neat that Jesus does that so that we know to have confidence in the prophecy. There was a guy I used to know in Colorado when I lived there who referred to prophecy as road signs. Mm -hmm. you're, driving along, you're driving along, you're driving along, and in advance, somebody has said to you, when you come to the whatever, you're going to turn left, or when you come to the whatever, you'll know you're within 20 miles. And you're driving along, you're driving along, and you're looking for road signs. Like, are we on the right road? I'm not quite sure. I've never been here before. And then, oh, oh, there it is. There it is. There it is. Okay, we're on the right road. And then you can proceed with confidence. And I was like, dude, I like that. Mm. I like it too. It's like the only smart thing I ever heard him say. Just kidding. <laughs> ah. Well, the other thing is, is Jesus says, when you see it, remember, I have told you before. Yeah. And so it's not a matter of us being able to predict everything, but like what you said, it's a sign so that you'll be like, okay, I know we're on the right track. God is it's in control. It. It's all good. Yeah. So that, that is why that, you know, all that there is why I love that chapter of Daniel two so much because 
I do believe it was written beforehand and it pointed down and it shows me too that we're getting close. We're getting close to that time when the stone cut without hands is going to take over. We know we're out of the Roman empire, you know, and it's been a long time since we've had, had the Roman empire. Yeah, we're definitely in the feet of iron and clay. And you mm-hmm. can see, you look around like there's there's elements of intense, even brutal strength around the world and there's elements of brittle. So yeah. and they never they never are together. They never mix, they never unify. It's just there's this and there's that in different places. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. And so you know, when we think of the conflicts that we can have sometimes between Russia or China right now, and I know there's some There's some worries about things that could happen there with some of the stuff Russia's been doing lately. And China's always rearing its head. I have a certain confidence that we're not going to have to worry about those factions ever really amounting to much. I mean, they they could cause problems. Absolutely, they could cause problems. They could be huge problems. But they won't gain control. Because the Bible has said here very clearly that everything's going to be taken over by the rock, not by a red menace from the east, you know. <laughs> and and yet, and yet, those same things are what's going to wind up the earth. The earthly mm-hmm. powers, ununified though they may be, are what's going to wind up the earth, bring about the final tribulation, and get us to the point where Jesus comes back. Like, yeah. they will be involved. Like, these earthly That's governments true. that we see now, including our own, will likely be involved in that process. And some icky things are going to happen. They have to in order for the book of Revelation to play out. Mm-hmm. But God's mm-hmm. plan trumps the best laid plans of mice and men. Which is yes. Dumb. Yes. Yeah. So so don't worry about what's coming. Watch it. Keep your eyes open. Know what's, you know, know what to expect. Stay know. aware. Stay pray- prayerful. Mm-hmm. Yep. The, you know, it's clear. The world is not going to be a pretty place when Jesus comes back. Mm-mm. And so don't worry too much that things look ugly because it's always been told us that that's what's going to happen. It's going to be ugly when Jesus comes back. And so just keep your faith in keep your faith in God. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on the rock. Watch for the rock and beyond beyond that side, beyond that kingdom be in the that kingdom of heaven you know and and i would also encourage people you know stick with us as we read through daniel there's a lot of prophecy for later in the world that that, and if you understand what he's saying you know then you then you have a road sign you know when you come to these later phases of the earth where everything's in chaos and evil's you know strutting in the streets and it seems like it's winning and everything else you'll have road signs you'll understand what they mean you'll understand this kind of weird coded speech that the bible gave all of a sudden it'll go click oh there it is i get it oh oh i get it you know i knew that verse and i never understood what it meant and there it is right in front of my face all right we're on the right track right and yep. it'll it'll give you reassurance that you that the world is still in god's god's palm there is a plan it is going to come to fruition and the devil's best laid efforts will not stop it yes yes absolutely absolutely well and one of the most beautiful parts of the story here then as it continues is that nebuchadnezzar recognizes god he calls him god of gods lord of kings and reveal of se- revealer of secrets so this immensely powerful king who 
he's got all the cards. He's got all the he's got all the toys. He's got all the power. And the, by having this dream interpreted to him, it has shown him that Daniel's God is God. And and when I when I look at this, when I look at what Nebuchadnezzar calls God, it it reminds me of like the image of a master chess player. Like, so even this king, the leader of the ruler of the then, the leader of the nation that rules the then known world prostrates himself and says, God of gods and Lord of kings. That's wonderful. Cause that's like, that, that feeds into that whole mental image that I have of God, where he's sitting back, he's the master chess player. He's moving things around on the board to get them where he needs to be to take out, to let certain factions of the enemy thrive for a while, take them out when he needs to, and get the whole earth ready for, like, that's what that is. That level of oversight and power, that's what that is. Yeah, like I was saying earlier, this we we see it in hindsight, but we recognize now that this is the history that needed to happen for Messiah yep. to come. Mm-hmm. Um, some some things seem brutal, but this is this is how God preserved that thing to happen. So that that line of David would continue so that Israel would end up in a position where certain things would need to happen and and, and Messiah would come and God's kingdom would be ushered in. Well, through this, then Nebuchadnezzar gives Daniel control, it says it gives him like basically control over Babylon. I don't know. If, I don't know what extent. Of leadership exactly he's been given here it sounds like he gets to sit in the court of of nebuchadnezzar for sure um he's given some administration over the over the other wise men and then daniel is then in a position to promote shadrach meshach and abednego over some of the affairs of babylon so this puts them in a nice position of influence influence yeah perfect word there position of influence very similar to joseph yeah in egypt mm-hmm. having having been given so much power in such an it's so interesting so interesting that that uh this completely pagan pagans maybe not the exact right word but you know what i mean certainly not 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 a country that believes and follows the god of heaven as we know him but how how the followers of god often get such high positions of power after being brought in as servants and slaves it's fascinating mm-hmm. it's really yeah, i think really that's the the uh, enamor and the glow of being blessed and highly favored yeah that that anybody and everybody can see that that you're blessed and highly favored see and i think of that as Yes, maybe a demonstration of the of God's power working through a person, right? You're blessed and you're highly favored. I think of that as, again, back to the chessboard. I think of that as God positioning the people he needs where he needs them for those moments in time. It's like an Esther moment, right? Mm-hmm. Like, who knows? But maybe you were brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. That's what Mordecai says to her. You know, and he's, he's telling her, you know, even though the king hasn't invited you, go before him and plead for the lives of your people. Who knows? Maybe you were brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. She's one of how many queens and wives and concubines. And like, in some ways, she's special. And in some ways, she's one of many. And she's going to gather up all of her nerve and say a bunch of prayers. And she's going to march in before the king uninvited. But it's that it's that confluence of God's will and my little timeline as a human 
right? Like, am I am I ready for that? Joseph, another key example. Daniel, key example. Paul, all of the apostles, even Jesus. There was this timeline between the things that happened on earth and the scene as God was playing it out on the chessboard that only he can see. And I just, I find it fascinating. And I just, I, I like it when I read stories about people whose whose character remained solid, even as they were maneuvered into those positions, which being maneuvered into those positions is often very uncomfortable. Here's Hadassah, a virginal little Hebrew girl that gets taken in to spend one night with the king after a year of getting pretty. And then, you know, and then, you know, is she interesting enough for him to keep or will he, will she be cast aside? Oh my goodness. Mm. What, what a thing to happen to a little Hebrew girl, right? You know, Joseph, you know, he gets treated horribly by his brothers because they're jealous and he's got a big mouth. Let's face it. He has a big mouth and he stirred up the pot quite a bit and they take advantage and they do a bunch of nasty stuff. And he has to rise above that and and still maintain his character, even though he's been literally sold into a foreign nation as a, as a slave, you know, like on and on like this, David. You know, he, he and his friends are hauled out of Jerusalem. They're castrated. That's the end of their family line. That's it. You know, they're placed into these crazy positions. They weren't the only ones. But look how their timelines lined up with God's timeline. Like they were in the right place at the right time. They were the pawn on the chessboard right when he needed one there to make the move. I just think it's cool. It's it's scary, you know, but it's also cool. And it makes me wonder how we fit into that bigger picture that we don't even know it. We don't, we don't even know. And then all of a sudden we're in a crossroads and, you know, none of us will probably ever be called to rule a nation under the, you know, under the King, but we're going to have something. Yeah. You never know where you're sitting. You never know what you might be called on to do. And every one of these situations, maybe not Dan. I don't know. I don't know with Daniel specifically, because it sounds like maybe, well, like Tracy said, he was a bit of the cream, cream of the crop to begin with. Yeah. Uh, it was taken for that purpose. But you think of like Joseph and boy, my brain is calcifying. Uh, who were you just talking about? Um, Esther. Esther. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not given any indication that they were special in any way other than well, you know, Joseph, his dad liked him a lot, you know, but uh, but uh, so you just don't know. You just don't know what you're going to be called on to do. And God sees greatness in ways that we don't. And, um, you know, you just never know what your influence is going to be. Well, okay, is, so what, I'm getting, what I'm getting at is I don't know that God necessarily looks at us and calls us great. He says, point blank, oh. in your weakness, my strength is made evident. Right. So, yeah. so the question is, do you have a godly character to where you can hear him leading? Are you in the right place at the right time? God will maneuver you there. And then when the moment comes, are you willing? To yeah. me, those are the questions, because yeah. if you're there and you're willing and you're tuned into God, he'll he'll use you and he'll make up the differences. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. With that, I think that will conclude our time for this week. Next week, we will continue with the book of Daniel. Uh, I don't know specifically how far we'll get. Uh, probably at least another couple of chapters, though. So I would say to our listeners, at least read through the next two or three chapters. You know, get some idea of what's going on there while you are reading that and waiting for us. 
Remember that you can reach out to us at attvpodcast at theadventure.org. Look us up on Facebook. Please make sure that you share the podcast with your friends and family and relatives and neighbors. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening. And make sure that uh, I forgot where I was with that. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you subscribe to this podcast so that we can reach you in your feed each and every week. We think uh, we. Wow. <laughs> he has we, COVID brain. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs>